This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Well, hello, everybody, to Readers Entertainment Radio. My name is Patricia W. Fisher, and happy Thanksgiving to everyone. I don't know if you're on your way to see family or family's on their way to see you, or if you've already seen family, or you'll see them this weekend, or you're going to have a friend's Friendsgiving, um, or just hang out or work. Believe me, I remember I worked a nurse. I was a nurse for a long time, and I remember working on days like this. So, Happy Thanksgiving to whom, wherever you are, and for those who are not celebrating Thanksgiving, happy Thursday. It's Thor's Day. Uh, we always send out a shout to Chris Hemsworth, wherever you are. You are always welcome to come on the show. And today, I had initially planned to do kind of um, a summation of different books that you should be grabbing for your Kindles and for your friends, for Christmas gifts and holiday gifts, and, and just gifts in general. But yeah, but last week I had the fortune of talking to Gina L. Maxwell, and she mentioned a really great charity, um, a, a charity event, an auction that's going on right now, and it is run by Rebecca Yaros. And Rebecca Yaros is an expert level chaos coordinator. She's also a hopeless romantic. She adores all things chocolate, coffee, and paleo, and she has to have a caffeine IV put in every day. I totally get this. Um, she's adored reading her entire life, and her writing came naturally from reading so many fabulous books. She's a military wife, mom of six, foster adoption and, ad- and autism advocate, and she loves the Mets. But she's also the creator of One October Auction, and we are going to talk about that in just a second. Welcome to the show, Miss Rebecca. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I know it's Thanksgiving, so it's. I really appreciate stealing you away for just a tad, because I know you probably have a household of chaos. Um, what? Let me just let me just ask with y'all's Thanksgiving. What is like the traditional thing? Do you guys? stay home and have everyone come over? Do you go out? I mean, what do you guys usually do? We, uh, we typically stay home just because there's so many of us. And uh, I don't eat gluten. My daughter doesn't eat gluten or dairy. So it's easier to kind of make all those crazy uh, special dishes at home than it is to kind of go out. Sure, sure. And everybody helps. Everybody pitches in to set things up and set the table and and do the dishes and all that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's why you have teenage sons, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm amazed mm-hmm. at you know how many of my kids' friends don't even know how to like sort their laundry. I just that, that I'm amazed. It's an issue. It's an issue. And um, <laughs> our oldest daughter is 22, so not only she's out on her own, she's uh, she's in her first year of law school, and so far has you know not died. But uh, <laughs> our oldest son is 16, and I keep telling my husband like we have a year and a half to teach this child how to adult. And I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure he's going he's to make it. So we're going to get there. We've, we've got the laundry, but he does, right. he's been killing for saying this, he does like to keep dishes in his bedroom. So if when we're missing the plates, they're always in his bedroom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, though, because it's, it's um, like my mom, she grew up in the 60s. And so when she went to college, she had never done laundry before because her mom had done everything. <sighs> And right. one, the first thing she washed was she went to the University of Texas, so it's burnt orange, right? So a burnt orange and white. So she got her white sheets, 
and washed them with her oh. burnt orange towels on Boy. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And she called her mom like, Mom, these sheets. And my grandmother was like, guess you're just going to have to sleep on those, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you will remember this lesson every time you get in bed. Every That's, day. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's yeah, it's one of those things that I know that as much as kids hate chores, um, it's definitely one of those things that they have to know how to do. It just it is. it's too adult. Yeah, they've they've got to know I how know. To, they got to know how to do life, and we uh, we usually ask them to, uh, you know, cook not like full meals, but about once a week they they get together and they'll cook they'll cook together. Uh, it doesn't always end up great. But it's more important sure. for me to know, hey, you can provide for yourself. Now, there will be a grocery store included. But as long as you can take something and make dinner, you will survive. Right. You're not eating, you know, bags of chips and, and bottles of, of soda for, for dinner. Yeah. Exactly. Um, or just pizza. And we told him, mm-hmm. Right. And that's our oldest is like, well, I'll be on the Hot Pocket plan. I'll just be the Hot Pocket. I'm like, stop. You know? Yeah, no. Oh, teenage boys. Well, and my, my kids also went through this ramen stage because one of the girls came. Yeah. Man, my kids are in uh, elementary through high school, and the middle two were saying, oh, I want uh, ramen. Someone was talking about ramen. It's all about the noodles. And I said, that's great, but you still need protein. And it just got to the right. point that that's, they just wanted, that's it. That's all they wanted to eat. So I said, okay, well, when this is out, I'm not getting any more because I'm not yeah. going to fight you about ramen. Forget it. You know? yeah. So, yeah. It's, <laughs> It eventually, exactly. I think they hate it, but it's like it's it's amazing how much temerity we have as as young younger, you know. Oh yeah, I can eat I can eat ramen every day for you know three months, and they do, right. and you're just thinking I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no. they no, no. they get obsessed over, over definitely. I oh, I can't I can't <laughs> with them, but and we argue with protein all the time because. Uh, our poor boys play hockey. And so they'll, mm-hmm. they'll walk in just exhausted from practice. I'm like, you have to replenish yourselves. And they're like, we're going to have a mm-hmm. cupcake. I'm like, no, this is not what I meant. <laughs> you can shove the cupcake down while we're making chicken, but, you know, right. or exactly. fish or what have you. Exactly. As long as you're still going to eat. Yes. <laughs> I, I, we had, I think, what did we have? I think we had hot roast last night, and my son wanted pie, and he hadn't eaten you know, his meat. I'm like, dude, you need your protein. And he sat there scarfing it all in just so he could have the pie. And I'm like, awesome. Okay, well, this apparently is how to get this one done. Right. But right. I, yeah, I think it's helpful. Well, and you can always, like, anyway. make a pecan pie. So there's nuts. Right. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> Do a little mince meat. Bring out some fruitcake. I don't know. See what we can, what we can sneak into their desserts. Yeah, there was um, there's two different books out. I mean, there's more than that, but the two main ones that kind of started it. One was the uh, the Sneaky Chef, and the other was um, um, something. And and it would have all these things like you could mix spinach with blueberries and make this thing, and you could freeze them like in cubes, and then you would just throw them into these different meals. So one was I think it was sweet potatoes and something else, but you could throw it in anything like macaroni and cheese. Um, Crazy and yeah, and I tried it a couple of times, and I just thought, man, the prep is just longer than it takes for me just to fight them to eat it. So I, know, I just meant, exactly. You're just going to eat that. To said I don't care. For eating it, right? There's something to be said for knowing you you must eat the vegetables. The only thing we don't eat, we don't eat Brussels sprouts. Um, my husband was in Afghanistan, and I was, you know, I'd just gone paleo. And so we were 
eating all these vegetables and trying to eat non-processed foods. And I made Brussels sprouts. And then we got onto the table and we all sat there and we were eating. And then I just looked at all of them. And only four of them were with me at the time. And I said, okay, raise your hands if we should never do this again. <laughs> and every <laughs> single hand went in the air, including mine. So I said, yeah. okay, this is one we're just not going to do. Brussels sprouts. okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and it's funny because my sister-in-law's from Chicago, and one year she came down. They came down, and they, she made Brussels sprouts, and we just had never eaten them. That was just never something. And she made them, and we have them all the time now. So wow. it, it could yeah. be the, it could be the way I cooked them. You never you never know, especially when you've never had yeah. them before. And I never had them growing up. My parents had a rule where you could pick one meat and one vegetable, and that if that was your choice for the one you could not stand, you did not have to eat it. You could make right. something else. You could, but it was not part of the whole, you must eat your dinner. So Brussels sprouts were my dad. So my mom never okay. made them. So I never oh, grew okay. up with them. Yeah. So it could be, it could be that, but, um, and we still do that. I have a child who won't eat macaroni and cheese. Okay. Yeah. Right. Isn't that my, my husband teases him. He's like, you're just not American. I don't, I don't know how, how you cannot eat macaroni and cheese. <laughs> and this is our child who was born in Germany, and he's like, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, he won't, he won't eat macaroni and cheese. Well, you know, one of the things I noticed that um, we were that, – that you just kind of don't think about as a parent because, you know, you have 15,000 other things you're thinking about on a daily basis. But we got a Popeye's chicken one time, and mm. we ended up getting bone-in chicken. And the, um, yeah, and we got home and the kids looked at it like we had brought home an alien (laughs) and they, they were just saying, well, how do we even eat this? And it had not occurred to us that we had given so much boneless, right? No chicken. They had no idea how to eat anything on the bone. Oh, so, so from then on, like for several several weeks, I would get bone-in chicken, like you know, at the store or whatever, and they would right. eat, and they needed to eat, learn to eat it, you know. Right. Um, yeah. You want to make sure they can survive. <laughs> it's all those things we figure they know. Islander. Right. Yeah. I, I totally, I totally understand. Totally understand. It's um, it, oh, it's so much easier, and there's so much more access to things that they don't have to work mm-hmm. for or learn how to eat. We put them, um, we put them in cotillions. And cotillion here is like uh, like manners and like ballroom dancing because it was inflicted sure. upon me when I was a child. And so naturally, you torture your children with how you were tortured. And it just occurred to me <laughs> the things we hadn't taught them, you know, like when you have bone and chicken at a meal, how, what do you do with that bone? What do you do with this? Where does your napkin go? And I'm just looking at this <laughs> going, huh, maybe we should stop yeah. eating while we all shout about our days and reach for things at the same time. I don't know. It's <laughs> But it's, I, it's there's different yeah. than when we were there's just up. so many things as a parent that you're just like did I go down the list do I have everything checked off I mean um, right. and then you just kind of at the end of the day just okay they're still alive and um, yep. you know that we made it so okay we'll try to get tomorrow I, I you know yeah it's definitely a juggle that is, yes that is um, <laughs> that was our motto especially Jason was gone all the time he just retired from the army. Um, and he was gone, I think, like for like eight or nine years of our marriage total. And he used to say that, are they alive? Yes. Then you succeeded. Yes. As long as they're alive okay. at the end of the day. And I, you know, no one's dead. You're doing great. And I'm like, yeah. uh-huh. you, you, you just say while you're 
5,000 miles away, but yes, yes, I understand. Um, but that's exactly right. what our, our motto was. It's because you stress about, um, you do stress about the list and what you can get done and what you can teach them. And then there's those years, especially when you're by yourself, you're like, you know what? <clears throat> Everybody's alive. Nobody's arrested. And uh, today's successful. <laughs> it is. It is. All you can, all yeah, you can and, and it's interesting because I remember when my husband, see, I was a pediatric ER nurse, and then um, Steve was a pediatrician, so we were like, oh, yes, we've, we already have this parenting down before we even have children. Um, and <laughs> We can save them. We had uh, Emma, our first one, and she ended up with emergency surgery at seven weeks and it, just all this other oh. stuff, and we just had no idea how absolutely exhausted you are. Um, oh, yeah. there's absolutely no way to describe it or explain it. Yeah. It's just know that you will realize how little sleep you can actually function on. And right. you don't really get it until right. you get a little more sleep. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, wow, I am really tired. Right. <laughs> it's that moment you're like, I have to and then you're like, when did I get excited about four hours? When did that happen? Like, when did right? Huh? When did that become the new status quo? Like, I don't understand. It's yeah, it is, a, it's sad because it always ends up being the night that they sleep like five or six hours for the first time, mm-hmm. and you sleep, and then you wake up, you're like, oh wow, oh my god, you know, and you panic. Um, yes, yes. Because something must be wrong that you got to sleep yes, five or six have, hours. Yes. It's got to be heard. Yeah. There's, yeah, that that fear is. I don't think that fear ever goes away. Uh, Jason and I call that the six week wall. So that's incredible that you guys, you know, were conscious for a six week emergency surgery. And I'm so sorry she had to go through that. That's awful. But uh, it's, it's we call it the wall. So it's like you hit yeah. the six week wall where you haven't slept, and then it's almost like hallucinating. Like you're just mm-hmm. that sleep deprived that you just, you know, you're rocking a bag of flour because you left the baby in the crib. You know, it's just, it's exhausting. And I thought I knew, I figured I knew everything with our first child. You know, like I, yeah. I had it down pat and I was amazing. And, and then 21 months later, our, our, our second boy comes and whole new ball game when you have yeah. to. Whole new yeah. ball game. And people ask yeah. us all the time, like, how do you do it with six? And quite frankly, after you have three, you're just outnumbered. And it's just kind of like throwing another kid into the mix. You know, it's just, right. It's already chaos. Yeah. So just another. Yeah, it happens all the time for me fun. too. Because I just like I'm like I don't know how. And there people say how many kids? Yeah. How many kids are? I'm like I don't know. It's like after three, I I don't even know. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I just throw down some more sandwiches and we're all good. You know, it's, it's fine. Exactly. It's no big deal. And, it, and then you have all the kids <laughs> in your house. I tell my my friends all the time like either we have, you know, 14 kids in our house because the neighbor kids are all uh-huh. here, or we have no right. Kids. Because the you know yeah. the summer, our our neighborhood I love it. It's it's very um it's very open and we have that rule where I have to walk outside, look up and down the street, and as long as I can see your bike, or you, mm-hmm. you're fine. Because literally in the summer they leave and it's almost like when we were kids, and we just you know I don't say ran amok, but kind of ran amok, and they're all with the neighbor yeah. friends and they just come back and tell us where they are and it's. They just move. There's like a roving band of snack searching. You know, like oh we're going to my house. <laughs> Went to my house, eat that. <laughs> yeah, look, my brothers used tight. to do that in high school. They played yeah. football, and so they lived in a. My parents lived in a town outside of San Antonio, and so my brothers would just like hit homes on the way home to eat, 
and, um, yes. you know, with their friends and all sorts of stuff. So my parents would go to the games on Friday night, and, you know, other parents would come and go, hey, we saw, you know, Matthew at, you know, Thursday, and mom's like, for dinner? <laughs> like, he came home yes. for dinner. <laughs> oh, it again. Yeah. They just, they're, yeah, well, they're just, you know, they're giant garbage disposals <laughs> at this age. We have um, our 16-year-old. I had okay. I had to buy a second refrigerator. We call it's oh it's, wow it's yeah large, it's a large black refrigerator. It's in our garage, and I call it Darth Refrigerator because if they go in there, <laughs> I will choke them out. <laughs> it's um well, not yeah, but uh, <laughs> because they were eating everything I had prepped for dinners out of the main fridge. Oh. And so okay. I would tell Aaron, my our oldest son, is like, do not eat the shredded chicken. We're using it later in this meal. And then I come home and half it's gone. He's like, well, I just made a sandwich. I'm like, you must have eaten six chicken breasts. Where did it go? He's like, oh, it's just a little bit. Yeah. Like, right. Okay. And I was getting so angry. And finally my husband's like, look, no more anger. And it's just everything for meal prep goes out there now. And I'm like, if you go in there, I, you know, I, I'm not responsible for my actions. Yeah. If yeah. I take the time to meal prep, you better not eat it, son. But they just eat so much at that age. Oh, it's endless. It's just, it's absolutely endless. It, it amazes me. Um, my daughter's in marching band and dance, and oh, wow. it's, it is phenomenal to see the amount of food she puts away. And I mean, she's not afraid to eat, so oh, uh, good. which is good because she's like can do this right now. Um, yeah. But I. Yeah, I just like it. It's phenomenal how much they shove down their face, which is great for Thanksgiving because you're like, please eat everything, so I don't have a refrigerator full of, of leftovers. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I think um, we usually and we usually make extras because they do. They like the leftovers for the next couple of days. Uh-huh. Their favorite uh-huh. thing. So we bought a turkey fryer. My husband fries the turkey now. Which does two oh, things. Okay. It gives me my, my oven completely empty, and it gets my husband out of my kitchen. Oh, because okay. Because I love the man, but how can I help? How can I help? We gotta move. We gotta move. And my husband's you know six foot four, two fifty, and I'm like, you take up a lot of space. Yeah, like, I love you, but you must you must leave. But um, <clears throat> so we now fry the big turkey. We make tons and stuff for um leftovers, but they're always gone within a couple of days because I'll come down, you know, at nine o'clock in the morning, and they're eating full on dinners for breakfast. Right. And that's, I just don't know where they put it. I really don't. I mean, at my age, I look at a piece of cake and gain 10 pounds and they're just, you know, it's gone. Food's gone. Well, I was laughing as you mentioned that um, on Graham Norton, when Ghostbusters came out, you know, with with Kate McKenna and Melissa McCarthy and and Chris Hemsworth. um, And they were talking about how nice Chris Hemsworth was. And like, he just, was just this really great guy in all these levels. And Melissa McCarthy was saying she watched him eat cake and he got more defined and she gained five pounds. <laughs> that's, that's yes. Yes. I, I feel that in my soul. I feel that in my soul. Yeah. We, um, so we've got, we've got um, all this discussion about Thanksgiving, but we also want to talk about books. And you've got oh, some, okay. and then you've got this amazing auction going on one October. Thank you. Yeah. So let's um, start with your new project coming out in February. Oh, that would be great. Uh, great and precious things. So that is, uh, it's my next one that's coming out in bookstores in February, and it's 
it's romance, but it also kind of crosses the women's into women's fiction a little bit. And okay. uh, I always get I always get flustered when I have to talk about books. It's so funny, and I can talk about someone else's books all day long. And then you ask me, and I'm like, so it's a book, and you should open it. Um, yes, very much. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's really hard to talk about your own stuff. Um, I I call it East of Eden meets Legends of the Fall. I think okay. it's the best way to put it. And I, okay. I absolutely love it. It deals with uh, Alzheimer's and um, returning home uh, from the military. What made you start writing that? I mean, what was the catalyst that made you start writing that very first book? Ooh, okay. Um, I always wrote. Uh, I wrote all through high school, and then, um, you know, we married young, and and deployments came, and when the deployments came, I started reading a lot. And I've always read a lot, but I mean, I read a lot. And then my husband, he was wounded his first tour. And after he was wounded, um, it was very serious. He almost lost his life, his uh, eyesight and his life. Um, he came home, and he recovered, and then he volunteered to go back and finish his tour, which, uh, uh-huh. you know, if you ever want to be proud of someone and hate them at the same time, that would be the moment. <clears throat> so okay. he went back to finish, and I couldn't sleep. I I was constantly terrified of what was happening and if he was hurt again and no one had told me yet because, you know, they don't, they don't call you in the middle of the night. They wait until the morning. So I started reading voraciously, and I would read a book a night, sometimes two, and okay. uh, I was just going through an incredible amount of books, and then I realized the stories that I wanted to read weren't always out there. Okay. And so I started writing during his third deployment. He came home and I said, hey, I wrote a book. And he was like, you what? All right, okay. And then I went to the um, store and I bought Publishing for Dummies because I had no okay. idea what to do with this book. It was right before the self-publishing boom and, um, and that was the first one. And then I just fell in love with you know, putting, putting the stories on the page. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a really fun process, but you're right. You know, I think – the big first big hurdle is just writing it, and then of course the second big hurdle is knowing what to do with it afterwards. Agreed. And we're so lucky yeah. to live in an age where there are so many possibilities, where you're not right. defined by traditional. You can self-publish. You can hybrid. It's, there's so many possibilities right now. But for sure, and, and anybody listening, um, it's not as simple as, okay, I wrote my book and I'm going to put it out there. Whatever you do, you make sure it is a quality, quality project. You get someone else to look at it. You get someone else to edit it. You know, don't Absolutely. give it to your best friend, your mom, you know, unless they are, like, super brutal about edits. Um, you want right. to put the best quality product out there. Agreed completely. Um, I'm lucky my, my editor, who's done most of my traditional books, uh, also now does my self-published for freelance and so I love the continuity that I have there and I think um, I think self-publishing has become so prevalent that it's amazing to watch and I'm, I'm going to generalize and say women but in romance it is, it is mostly women these women yes you know really hone their craft and find these amazing editors and I would have to I would venture to say that these self-published books are the same quality with the um, with the editors that we have out there now, like really it's right. possible to have that same trad level quality because there are wonderful, wonderful editors out there. And uh, definitely if you're listening, uh, when you finish it, also walk away for a couple of weeks. Leave yeah. the book for two weeks and get yourself out of it. Cause once you finish writing it, you are way too close to it to jump back in and edit. And 
I right. usually ask for a month from my editor. I usually give it to my editor and say, I don't want to see this for a month because I'm so close to it that when she gives me my edits back, there's every chance that I will react defiantly like a petulant teenager because I'm still too close to it. I got to have that, got to have that breathing space. Right. Well, and, and to, to transition into that, you've got, for anybody who's like, well, where do I start? What do I do? How do I find an editor? Um, one October, your charity yeah. auction has yeah. several options for this. It does. It does. Um, the auction is absolutely, I'm so humbled. I think it's the best way to put it. All the book community came out really in force with signed books, with um, services. We've got PR people in there who will do your release packages. We have editors in there. My personal editor is Karen Grove, and she's in there um, with, with a package, and she is amazing. And we have CEO of Entangled, who publishes my books in there, willing to give a 30-minute consult. My agent, Louise Fury, opened up for queries for the first time in seven years for anyone who will donate. Um, okay. And she's got a package in there for a phone call. There's tons of resources in there it's it is amazing how people have come out for it should i uh right should I tell them why we're doing the auction so we're not hey, we're yes let's do that you okay. tell us why we're doing this auction <laughs> okay all right here we go so we adopted our youngest daughter from foster care as you you adopted two of yours right i did yes yeah yeah it's, it's amazing it's an amazing thing we always say that fostering is the best and the hardest thing we've ever done we were yes. her foster parents for two years before we were allowed to adopt her. It was a very, very long, long process. But when they called me, uh, Jason was in Afghanistan because that's pretty much where he always was during those days. And they said, we have a you know, blonde hair, blue eyed baby. Do you want her? And I said, well, yeah, but we're, uh, oh gosh, we're on our way to hockey practice. And they said, well, well, we'll bring her to the rink. And I just sat there and looked at the phone. Like, you're going to bring the baby to the rink like a, like a pizza? Like, if this is how we, really? Okay. All right. Yeah, that's cool. So okay. Jason had happened to hop online at the same time. Thank God. He just for just fortuitous timing. And I said, hey, there's a baby. Should we take her? And he said, yes. And so I told him on the phone, yes, we'll take her. We get to the rink, and I put my, young, or my oldest boys on the ice. And I take my youngest boys out. And I had grabbed a blanket, a single blanket out of this room. And we'd had this room prepared for two years, waiting, you know, waiting for a placement. And I just happened to grab a blanket just in case. So they hand me her car seat, and there she is, and she's just, oh, she's amazing and squeezable. And they hand me these four grocery bags, and they say, here's her stuff. And to this day, I can remember the weight of her car seat in my elbow and the weight of the bags in my hand as I tried to hold my youngest boy's hand to walk across the parking lot. And it just struck me, they had sent her things in plastic bags. Yes. And yes. she was a baby, so naturally. She was only five and a half months old, and uh, she'd been severely neglected, so she was tiny, and she was light. But those bags felt incredibly heavy. They had, uh, they had some formula that they'd sent with us, and she came with four onesies and four pairs of stretch pants. No socks, no coat, no blanket, no pajamas, mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. That was all. She no came loving. with, and now I have this baby. No, yeah. No. Yeah. Nothing, like absolutely just that. And her feet were bare. And I'm about to take this, this baby into a hockey rink. And uh, it just caught me off guard that she really shouldn't have anything. And mm-hmm. so luckily we brought the blanket. And that first week was really difficult because Jason was gone. And it was myself and the kids. And 
um, our daughter, who is now Audrey Grace, and uh, we weren't expecting a baby. They had told us we'd probably okay. get a two-year-old. So I'd given away all my baby stuff. Now, thank goodness oh, wow. we have yeah. a crib. Right, right. And we have a crib set up because we knew it would go to a toddler bed, but we weren't expecting a baby. And uh, I have no swing. I have no bouncer. I have nothing. And I have this car seat. And she had been kept in her car seat. Um, to, she, was, she wasn't removed from it, so she'd rubbed her hair off, and she hated the car seat. It was the only place she would scream. She wouldn't cry okay. anywhere else that you put her in that car seat, and she would cry. So I literally had nowhere to put her down. And I remember making lunches that first morning, and my son, Aiden, sitting in the, on the kitchen floor holding her so I could make lunches because uh-huh. I didn't have any baby stuff. And so with foster parenting, and you, you know this, you do get a stipend, and they do help you provide for this child, but it's paid in arrears. And yeah. so she came to us on the 1st of October, which is why our nonprofit is called One October. And, okay. um, and we got our first stipend checked on, I think it was the 15th of November. And financially, yeah. we were fine. We could afford the $1,000 that we had needed to outfit her with clothes that she really didn't need. But I'd had four boys, and I'd, we had to go to Gymboree. We, we had to because I was excited to have another girl in the house. But, yeah, um, you know, and they always had really good specials and clearances. Right. And, yes, yeah. and bows, and you know, and um, but you know, we needed swing, and we needed a bouncing, and we needed a new car seat so that she wasn't terrified of the one we currently had. And she had no clothes, none. And you know, babies at that age spit up, you know, all the time. Every five seconds, her yeah. Stomach, mm-hmm. Right, and because her stomach hadn't been grown because she hadn't been fed, she, you know, she spit up constantly like after every single mm-hmm. feeding because we were trying to grow her stomach so basically we were fine with outfitting her but we know that most foster parents aren't in that same position yeah they don't have that financial flexibility to go get that child what that child needs and we decided we were going to do something about it and so the mission of one october is that a social worker can call us and say hey we have someone coming into care and from us you're going to get a discreet black duffel bag and a mm-hmm. week's worth of clothing that I would yeah. put on my kids, whether it's new or gently used, you're going to get a week's worth of clothing because a lot of times these kids are coming into care and the very next day they're starting school, mm-hmm. a new school. And you, there's no saying, did they get there at 10 o'clock at night and school is now at 7 a.m.? Right. Do they have holes in their clothes? Do they have no clothes? What did they come with? And there's a certain state of mind, I think, you know, when a child is being removed, I personally can't imagine having my child removed from my custody, nor do I think I would be in the mental capacity to adequately pack for them. Mm-hmm. So I can't, you know, some people are quick to blame, and all I can think is I, I don't know if I would be able, be able to pack in that state of mind or have the conscious thought of, like, you're starting school, you're going to need this and this and this. So our mission is to make sure these kids can enter the system with as much dignity as we can give them and also to provide a lending closet so foster parents can come to us and get a swing and get a bouncy uh, bouncy seat and get a pack and play and just kind of ease that transition. Yeah, our two walked in with the clothes on their body. And that was it. 
that was absolutely it. And it was a, it was a definitely um, they had been left for long periods of time on their own. Um, oh. And so there's I still have those clothes. So we've gone through, you know, and cleaned the closets over the years and, and thinned clothes. And, and my husband and I both just look at those clothes and we're like, we just can't give these away because it's something that, you know, I'll do something with them eventually, something creative, I, I think. Um, but it's it's that moment of this is how you came to us and these were your clothes. Yes. This is it. Um, and That's incredible. And a lot of hurt. times. Yeah, and and they have trash bags, like you're saying. There's there's nothing yeah. that's theirs really. Um, and right. our Girl Scout troop, we we talked to them. We said, you know, some of the cookie money we do for a community project, and one of the big things was um, we got baskets together, but we made it for teens, and so we did um, backpacks and we put in razors and deodorant and yes. and pencils and and paper and school supplies yes. and. And those things that they're walking in the next day, like you're saying, into class, and they have nothing, you know. Right. Um, but now they have a backpack. Now they have, you know, they have tampons. You know, can you imagine right. going to a new house and having your period? It would just, right. yeah, there's all those things people just don't think about. They don't. And we, um, things, uh, Adriana Locke is another author, and she, with her group and Mandy Beck's group, another author, had asked if they could fundraise or donate items for one October for their Christmas drive. And I told her that, you know, these items, for lack of a better word, the things we need aren't really sexy. The things that are fun to give. Do you know what I mean? Like the really, like we're going to give toys and, and, and really fun, amazing things. No, we need brand new socks and underwear. Yeah. Because that's something most people don't think about. We need the things that these kids are going to need. And teenagers don't have the same needs as smaller children. So where, um, you know, some small kids probably do need a stuffed animal and something to snuggle with. The big kids really don't. And not that way. They need other things. They do need the razors. They need the tampons. They need the things they're going to be too embarrassed or feel awkward about to ask. And um, we chose chose duffel bags so that we could send a bigger selection of things. And then we chose not to put our logo or anything on them. I know some, some agencies do. Because our thought was a teenager doesn't want to have something that labels them in foster care. Right. And we want them to have exactly. something that they can take to their basketball game, take to wherever they need to go if they need a, a bag that doesn't define who they are. And I honestly believe that moving their belongings in trash bags sends a message to them that no kid, mm-hmm. no kid should have to have. Their things aren't trash. They are not trash. They right. deserve to have some way to move to move their belongings and we're hoping to be able to expand we're, we're keeping our golden modest for the first year and we're hoping to be able to expand to do school supply drives in the fall and to do mm-hmm. formal wear for the spring to make sure that right. kids in care can get can come and get a tux or come and get a prom dress come and get a coat our goal is if you're in care right and you need something we're hoping to get that for you because it's right it's such a tough spot for these kids and they didn't do anything to put themselves there. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but no, that's, and that's you know, amazing. something I else that people, that. yeah, school supplies is a big one. And there's also the, the, um, like the required reading. And I know a lot of people think, Oh, well, you know, these kids aren't thinking about that. Sometimes that's the only way they escape. And granted, a right. lot of these kids are, um, academically neglected, but right. Those books, you know, I don't, I don't care what level they're able to read. 
um, those books make a difference. So when you're cleaning your bookshelves or you see like, uh, when you're at the Barnes and Noble and you see a collection of, you know, Jack London or, um, yeah. um, oh, you know, Jane Austen and it's, you know, 10 bucks, donate it to your local foster care agency, donate it to yeah. whatever. I mean, those things yeah. make a difference. Clean out your drawer that you've got all those shampoos from hotels you've taken because they're there. Right. Donate them. Just donate yep. them. Absolutely. And you brought up a really amazing point I hadn't thought about. We'd only thought about school supplies for the fall. We hadn't really thought about kids coming in mid-year and not having those supplies. That's, yeah. that's a really excellent. That's a really excellent point. Yeah. How it's, old I mean, it's hard because they, they were two. Uh, he was just shy of four, and she was about 20 okay. months. And we okay. knew for sure we were going to get to adopt both of them. And let's see, that was in May, and they we knew for sure in August we were oh, going to get wow. to adopt them. Um, but that we had is... gotten them at the very, wow. very end of their case. Um, they had been going through all that for about a year and a half. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, yeah. That and is... they had been with BioFamily, but they had their own chaos. And then the last right. level of BioFamily had been um, – had messed up. So wow. um, that was just basically, okay, we're done. And we're going to, we're going to try a different route. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's incredible. We, you know, we were there. I mean, we were her only family from the moment she was placed into, into foster care, but it was two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I don't know. If I, yeah. My only comfort is I know, I know exactly where she was for those, for those two years, but how um, oh, right. I guess she, so they weren't quite, they weren't quite school age. That's kind of no, and you know is- our son. He came to us, and it took us uh, like 24 hours to realize. Because at first, I, we thought, well, maybe they speak more Spanish than English, and we tried that, and they looked more confused. Oh. And um, oh. I realized that he had like a hundred-word vocabulary. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, he knew no shapes, no colors. He couldn't say the alphabet. He could count to three with help. Um, and he just basically knew almost zero and he had been taking care of her. And, um, so we just, one of the big ways we bonded and I'm sure, you know, you have, everyone's got their method, but, um, through Disney movies, you know, we all would just sit down and watch movies together and then we would go, um, one of the ways we would, I would teach them colors and shapes. I'd say, do you like strawberries? He'd say no, you know, cause everything was no. Um, right. And not in a, a, you know, a defensive no, just no. Um, right. And I'd say, oh, well, do you like these? And I would be at the grocery store and I'd hold them up. And he'd say, oh, I like those. And I think these are red strawberries. And I'd turn it sideways in a rectangular box. You know, it's like, and yeah. he knew banana and apple. And that was it. Right. Um, so, wow. but he knew, every, he knew the chip aisle and he knew the soda aisle. Mm. Yeah. You know, oh, and it's gosh. just, a, I get it. It's a different process, but it, again, it was like he had no tools to, right. to thrive or mm. even survive in, in a, in a general environment. Um, yes. Yeah. So it was a lot, but the, the beautiful part of it, and I've seen it with so many children who are in foster care, they are so hungry to learn. Right. And, if you get with one, you know, you're, you're with a child who's been in a situation where they've not been 
generally respected or, and they've been neglected or what have you, the the gentle approach and a lot of them will say yeah I know what that is or no I don't and they'll get def- they may even get defensive is this just a kind oh well you know I like what what books do you like to read I don't like books oh well I like to read blah 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 and presenting it in a very positive and nurturing way to where they're not feeling right. attacked um, right you're just kind of sharing information versus right. what do you mean you don't know you know it's exactly yeah. it's respecting their past and and giving them yeah. and giving them that respect we audrey grace um she was only five and a half months and she didn't have any muscle tone uh she hadn't she hadn't mm-hmm. been helped and i knew from the first time i saw her that she had fetal alcohol syndrome and oh, so wow. we yeah you know you can tell there's certain um certain facial markers and my mom right. was mm-hmm. um my mom's an msn NICU nurse so mm-hmm. i'd been you know i mean i knew knew off that that she had fetal alcohol and by her first birthday, it was clear to us she had autism. And so oh, our wow. bonding, okay. she's, yeah, you know, um, we had Tula. You know those, uh, the front carriers, the, 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 how mm-hmm. you wear your baby now with the wraps? Yeah. I yeah. got one of those because, I mean, we were incredibly crazy. Hockey, is, hockey consumes your life. And so she <laughs> was pretty much raised for that first year on my chest and on my back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we bonded because she was literally always, always on me. Attached to and you. And Jason came. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And Jason comes home from Afghanistan and then I, I take her to the, the welcome home ceremony. And he'd been a little bit nervous. He's like, you know, you love her. You've had her for three months. I don't know her yet. What if she doesn't like me? And then I, you know, I handed her over and she grabbed a hold of his nose and he was like, Oh, done. That was it. And now he runs <laughs> her world. And I'm looking at this yeah. girl like, hey, I was the first person to ever feed you on a dependable schedule, <laughs> and he's your favorite. Like, how is this? I know. How is this okay? Like, this is. I know. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Utterly. Like, really? It's not fair. But um, she, it's, it's funny because she, um, we knew she had autism, and she didn't speak for, gosh, I think she spoke her first words around four and a half. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they had told us uh, around her third birthday, um, they had told us it was autism, and we knew that. But because she was in foster care, they were they didn't want to diagnose the autism because ninety percent okay. of foster parents with or who receive a diagnosis of autism walk away. Yeah. And mm-hmm. at this stage, uh, nothing drives me crazier than when people say, "Oh, you're one of those special people that adopts." I'm like, "No, no, 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 no," or "Adopts special needs." I'm like, "No, no, no." They handed me a baby, and I fell in love with this baby. Yeah. And yeah. this baby happened to have autism. She happened to have right. apraxia, which is where, you know, the nerves don't connect from her brain to her mouth and she can't, she can't make her mouth make the sound. She happens to right. have albinism and she happens to have fetal alcohol. I right. also have an epileptic child and I didn't throw him back. Right. Like I kept right. him. So at this point I was just, we were just in love with this baby, you know, and that's just kind of what she came with. But um, yeah. it's incredible once we moved out here and she stopped having visitations with the bio family and she just had a stable home environment because um, even living with us for two years, it's not stable when you're right going to visitations and, and you know, there's a tension in that air. Um, the developmental pediatrician said that she wouldn't be anything more than she was and that she wasn't ever going to speak or know any words and that she wouldn't ever mentally develop. And we fought really hard and got her into ABA and we took her back six months later 
and she knew all of her shapes, her colors, her numbers, um, one through 30. Her, um, she had about a, a vocabulary of about 150 words, which, you know, from going from nothing to 150 over six months is, is, is huge. huge. And she, huge. all it took was a text system, speaking in pictures, yeah. which is how autistic kids think anyway. And she just took off. And now she is six. And she does, she speaks. Apraxia is really hard to, to make words work. But she speaks about, I don't know, 30 words or so. But her, she's a, an electronic talker. So when she touches a button, it speaks for her. And she's oh, wow. got, you know, thousands, thousands of words in there. And she knows all her kindergarten sight words and her first grade words. And she can hack your iPad like it's nobody's business. <laughs> and she's hacked two of her speech devices and wiped them clean of data then created several separate, separate profiles to go watch Peppa Pig online. So <laughs> well, plenty, plenty to be thankful for. So I yeah. so appreciate you coming on today, Rebecca. And everybody, if you want information on everything, you can this check show the brought website, to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. 